0: If you remember, I'm, I'm uh, preaching from Philippians, so uh, we'll be continuing in chapter 2 this morning. Um, and this, We're working our way toward the end of the chapter. I think we have maybe one more message to get there, to the end of the chapter, after this one. Um, and we're about halfway through the book. Um, and this is Paul's letter uh, to the people in Philippi, Philippi, the church in Philippi. And this morning we're going to be focusing on chapter 2, verses uh, 17 and 18. But first, as I always do, I want to give you just a short reminder, because there's many weeks between um, when I preach, so a short reminder of where we are in the letter, and then what the context is for the study today. So if you remember, one of the main threads of this entire letter is unity with the believers in the local church. That that actually, if you read through, I don't know, anyway, a bunch of Paul's letters I was reading through in study for this, and you'll, you'll see that, this call for unification, um... In, in many of those letters, um, but anyway, it's it's very apparent here, and um, this is unity with the believers in the local church. So unity with each other, and unity with Christ, and what that means for their lives. How does that how does that play out in their lives? So based on the person or character of Christ, they have, and then therefore we have every reason to to do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, selfish ambition, regard others' interests more important than our own and be found in the form of a bondservant as Christ did. That's what we read already. It's so not only in obedience to the Father, but also in death for the atonement of sin, right? For our sin, this is Christ. This is his offer to us. So we've read Paul's writing in verse 12 of this chapter that the outpouring of the life obedient to Christ is a life ever more sanctified by the work that God has ordained for the believer to do? And the last time I spoke to you, we studied verses 14 through 16. And these being yet another outpouring of an obedient life devoted to Christ. So do all things without grumbling or disputing, if you remember that. And so I hope the example I used at the time really made sense, because I gave, I gave some events that led up to that message. And this was in regard, if you remember, to the, my kids deleting the, the sermon about halfway through. Um, and uh, so, I hope it made sense that we grumble from that message. That we grumble and dispute with God more than we probably realize, and more than we'd like to admit. And this does not bring glory to God. So instead, we are always to look for look to Christ as our example, submission to first and foremost to God, but also in humble submission to one another. So regarding one another more important than oneself. And so today we continue with the idea where we see unity, right? But this unity Paul speaks of is in unity in suffering. So let's read, and then I'll do my best to explain. And I want to read again from verses 5 because it gives us the context. Because Paul is talking about a deepening unity. It's like, so he keeps, he keeps getting deeper and deeper in this message. So this is leading up to verse 17, where we are to share with each other and urge one another in the suffering for Christ if required. So this is kind of a double down, right? If you're familiar with that term, double down for slang, you know? And uh, this is a double down in a commitment to one another and to the gospel of Christ. One that we don't experience much in this country. But possibly, we might experience it more and more in the generations to come as we get older. So if you would uh, stand with me while we read. So this is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, starting there. And keep in mind our verses are uh, 17 and 18 this morning. So have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have glo- reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your words here. And Lord, it's a privilege uh, to, bring, to bring these to your people. Lord, I ask that um, the words be clear and fall deep um, into the hearts of the, pe- the people here as they did in me um, in my study this, this week. Lord, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, the initial question, something I want you to be thinking about as we, as we go on here, is can you find joy in suffering? So we need not look any further than the life of Paul to find this answer. But this depends on one thing, or one person, that is. And that's Jesus Christ. You see, this entire letter has built more and more extreme picture of unity, both with brothers and sisters in Christ and with Christ himself. So Paul talks much of finding joy through this unity in spite of his imprisonment or house arrest, as we study in chapter 1, if you go back to the beginning of the, of the letter. And this was some time ago that we studied this. But Paul speaks of joy through unity with the Philippians in their sanctification, joy through their boldness, which is enabled by his imprisonment, joy whether he is to live on, in service to them, or joy even in death, because he knows he will be with Christ. So a theme we need to come, keep coming back to in the letter, and this will be important to us today to keep in mind as well, is a concept found essentially in one word in chapter 1. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 29, so this word is granted. It's granted for Christ's sake. So here Paul is talking about opposition that believers are facing for the sake of Christ. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experience the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So contrary to what many would have you believe about God, Paul says he grants believers suffering for the sake of Christ here. So I can't emphasize enough how opposite This biblical view is from the view in the hearts and minds of so many believers in our churches. And that is their life in Christ is to be free from pain, struggle, sickness, poverty, heartache, challenge, hardship, and suffering. Brothers and sisters, don't you see that God is sovereign over all things, including suffering, and so when we come to our verses today, the mind I want you to have when we just briefly look at this is similar to the last time I spoke to you. So of course what we're talking about here is much more extreme in terms of Paul's, Paul's experience of imprisonment with even the threat of death. Right? Much more extreme than what, what I gave you the last time with my, my children deleting the sermon. Right, Of course, it's not, not super comparable, but the sovereignty of God in even that mundane disappointment... Your mind needs to be similar here, so that when you see where, we, where this passage in chapter two is going to end up, you, you get there with the, the right understanding, okay? So what mindset do we need to have this morning? Again, it's that, it's that nothing escapes the plan of Almighty God. How else can you get to the place where Paul is in this verse, verse 17 of our passage today, where you would say, you personally would say, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, this is to another believer. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So listen to me carefully. This is key to understanding. If the hand of God is not in all there is for you, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, how can you logically get to the place where you will rejoice no matter what? You will blame luck or that somehow Satan overcame God, or God wasn't watching. May it never be like that with us. Just look to Job if you are ever questioning who it is in command of all things. So let's back up just for a second, examine the words in detail written here. So back in chapter 2, verse 17 again. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. So firstly, what is a drink offering? But I think in answering this question, it's vital to what Paul intends to say. The first time a drink offering is referenced in the Bible is in Genesis, where, we, where God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And this is in chapter 35. So I'm going to read chapter 35, verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he, gave, when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from in the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured out oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So it's extremely important to notice here, so I want you to take away from this, and and the reason I read all of this is to give you completely the context of, of what I'm about to say. So it's extremely important to notice here that this drink offering is used... In this instance, in the context of a deep commitment between God and Israel or Jacob. So drink offerings are also mentioned many times in sacrificial law, in Leviticus and Numbers. And as we see in the Genesis account, these drink offerings, which were typically wine, right? sometimes they were water or honey, but typically they were wine, and they could be offered to God either alone or, or most, more commonly in conjunction with other burnt grain or animal offerings. And this is is most of the accounts in Leviticus. So Leviticus 23, for example. Along with the bread you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect, and a bowl of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. And so typically in, in the examples within sacrificial law, you'll see commands to augment grain or other animal offerings with a drink offering, either poured into the fire directly or around the altar. But what's key to note is that they often are referenced in making a sweet or soothing aroma to the Lord. So when you hear the phrase poured out or pour out in reference to people, think about these images of commitment and sacrifice being a fragrant aroma to God, pleasing to him. So these words fragment aroma are used in this same letter in Philippians chapter 4 even. And this is talking about the offering from the church in Philippi. And there are only a couple references which use this same Greek word that's translated pour out as a drink offering in the New Testament. The other instance is in Second Timothy, chapter 4, where Paul says, so this is verse 6 in Second Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. So now, in both of these instances, Paul is not talking about his eventual death, right? You see, he's talking about his current life. So he's already being poured out, as the words are used in both instances. And this is not a future event, right? This is the present life he's living. A life of a drink offering, which is a fragrant aroma to God, or augments the sacrifice. And so what does he say the sacrifice is? So read again. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, this sacrifice and service, as he calls it, is the faith of the believers in Philippi. So you see, sacrifice and service are used in a way kind of interchangeably here, but also, I think in a way, you know, that links the word sacrifice with the type of life that the believers are to be living. So in Hebrews, this same Greek word, for service is translated ministry. And that's in the NASB. It may be a little bit different in another translation. So, ministry, service, sacrifice. You get the, the picture that we're painting here. So, in 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this same Greek word in a way that we possibly gain a little more understanding of what he means when he uses it this, this word service. So, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, Paul's writing about giving, to the bro- about giving to the brothers who are preaching the word. And this is similar to how, similar how we would give to a missionary or a pastor who doesn't have another means of income that's focusing completely on, on the gospel. So I want to focus on verse 12, if you'll turn there. So this is, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. But I'm going to start reading from, from verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So the context for verse 12 here, it's clear that he's talking about ministry and service or sacrifice in the life of others, in one's life to others. And those same people have overflowing thanksgiving to God. So read it again, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So, okay, so my, my point in this slight detour that we took is to give you an idea of what Paul is talking about when he says in our Philippians passage. So, so this is where this all comes together, right? So, just if, you're, if your mind is somewhere else, bring it back here for a second. So, when Paul says he is poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, Do you see the unity he speaks of? Ministry, service, sacrifice. So this deep commitment that comes with the drink offering that we see first from Jacob, this commitment to the believers and to God. In verse 16, he speaks of the toil or hard work. This is verse 16 in Philippians 2, uh, which was our, our passage from last time. So he speaks of the toil or hard work that he has put into the relationship in bringing them the gospel of Christ. So, right, this is the commitment that he's talking about. So in the, the lives or faith of the believers in the Philippian church, of service is the main offering to God. And Paul sees his own life of submission again, inspired by the obedience, obedient sacrifice of Christ as the drink offering, which is augmenting the main offering of the lives of the believers here. That's what he's saying. So this is a sweet aroma to God. So I think what he means by this is that these people are living in an obedient, faithful, and committed way, inspiring each other and him in the name of Christ. So this is pleasing to God, as the burnt and drink offerings were. Then remember our sovereign God laying out all these good works for those who believe in them to walk in them. So this commitment to one another, even through suffering. So you see how this is getting more extreme. So the obvious application for us to examine our commitment to the gospel this morning, that's the obvious application of this. Do you look at your exercise of your faith as service and sacrifice, firstly to God, but also to one another? Do you long to be with the people of this church, as Paul said of his fellow believers, the local body and God's people? Or are you looking for ways in which you can be a blessing in their lives? Or are you too busy for that? too interested in what you need to do. And folks, I'm guilty of this as well. Now here's where this gets even more difficult for us. So remember, Paul is writing this from jail in Rome. So his current life, as we discussed, isn't exactly what we think of as a material, materially being full of joy, right? But he says in verse 17 of Philippians chapter 2, our passage for today, He is being poured out as a drink offering. Even if, he says, even if, this is what God has sovereignly declared for him. He says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So consider this for a moment. You may grow tired of always hearing me tell you about the sovereignty of God in all things. Maybe you do, I don't know. But knowing that God has good plan for you through anything, you may experience it's so obvious this must be your viewpoint to have joy and to have joy with others, whether you be sick or otherwise persecuted as these believers in the early church were. So listen, if you are to share joy with one another, as Paul says in our passage today, it will be through suffering of some kind. So will you continue to share joy with one another or will suffering steal your joy? Because you will have that in this life. So do you, want to know, do you want to know what the biblical alternative is for losing joy through suffering? So look no further than Acts chapter 5 if you want to turn there with me. The apostles are being questioned about the gospel they preach. This is Acts chapter 5. So starting in verse 40. So they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer suffer shame for his name. Read that again. Rejoicing. This is the apostles. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Is this you? Is this me this morning? I was asking myself as I was, I was preparing for this. So I want to pull this all together for you, okay? So as we study in the context of this chapter, that is Philippians chapter 2, and even in the broader sense of the letter, and as I mentioned in the, in the rest of Paul's writings, so we see an increasing intimacy or closeness between Paul and the church at Philippi, right? First, he's he's asking them to be obedient, right, in unity with each other, but he keeps making this obedience and this unity more extreme to the point where we get to this suffering today. And so, Paul says that he yearns for them or longs to see them in the first chapter. Is that your unity with each other this morning? Now, here we have unity brought sovereignly about by suffering. And not only unity with other believers, but joy and suffering for them in the sake of, for the sake of Christ. So this morning, we need to take a long, hard look at what drives our actions in relationships with each other. So will you do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourselves? Let each one of you look not only in your own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So do you understand that the good works that God has prepared for you in advance may sometimes lead through suffering? It may, and probably will in this life. But for your, this is for your good, the Bible says. So rejoice always in God. has called you by his sovereign grace out of death and into faith in Christ Jesus. And this is through the infinite worth of Christ's perfect sacrifice. You see that this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. It's your grace that's called us out of death and into life. Lord, we could do nothing without it. Lord, I thank you for your words that you've given to us this morning. Lord, I thank you that uh, you've called us into unity with one another and unity with Christ, no matter what it may mean for any of us in this life. Lord, if it's sickness or even in death. Lord, let us be unified with one another, placing placing another more important or placing another higher in importance than than ourselves. Lord, it's in the name of Christ that we do this. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen. All right, so um, maybe it was a little bit shorter this morning. There wasn't a ton of content. Um, so now we are turning to our uh, fellowship meal, but.